You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. I feel like we're more than ever bombarded with information and not, of all, not all of it is positive information. Information about panic buying, information about the virus that's spreading and it is, you know, it's a real thing. I'm not in denial about it. But we're bombarded with this information and we've got to make choices with the information that we receive into our skulls, our heads. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive. The TV feeds you thoughts. The newspapers, if you buy them or read them, feed you thoughts. You have to take every thought captive. But there are thoughts and ideas found in the Word of God that you won't find anywhere else. And we have to get into the Word. And I'm so pleased that so many of you have thanked me for spamming your inbox. For those of you who don't have email, and for those of you listening on online, I live in a town where some people still don't have the internet. Surely not, says one of them. For those of you listening online, you obviously have the internet. I'm so pleased that so many of you have been pleased and thanked me for my constant emails, although we are only on day eight. It's, there's more to come. By day 31, you might be sick of them. Hopefully you're not, because I've been emailing everybody a Bible verse every day. And the beauty of it that people have um, fed back to me is that it's short, because some of you crazy people do the Bible in a year, every year, and it's like so much to read every day. And if you miss a day, obviously it's double if you want to keep up. If you miss two days, you're just in turmoil. Before long, you have to have a whole weekend off or book time off work to just to catch up on your daily readings. And people have enjoyed the fact that it's a single verse. They've enjoyed the fact that um, I've encouraged you to pray the verse, not just read it. And the third thing they've liked is they've enjoyed the fact that we're all doing the same thing um, in a church, in a church congregation. So uh, as Antonia read this morning, today if you get the emails you'll have had the verse that says, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in, the, in my name, the Father will give you. So my encouragement is that you find a moment... You shut the door and you take a breath in your busy life with all the bombardment of information and you put it all to one side and you read that scripture and you turn it into a prayer. We had some practice runs at it on Wednesday night. We had Wednesday night live down at the um, front room coffee bar down in town and uh, a few, few of us gathered, about 12 of us there, and people were having a go at just reading some different scriptures and turning them into prayers. And it was good. I enjoyed it. I felt uplifted. People praying scripture. And I know a lot of you do that anyway. And some of you probably have done it more than I have in, in my life. But I'm just saying this is so important. Um, not just at this time, but at all times to be close to God. So I wanted to um, bring part two to last week's talk. If you weren't here last week, I entitled the, the sermon... Shut the door. I was talking about being intentionally alone with God. I was saying that there are a number of people who have mentioned to me that they don't read the Bible every day or that they don't pray every day, one of the two. And I want to encourage you 
to go through the whole month of March, or just from now on, if it's a new thing to you, if you haven't been coming along and you haven't received the emails, to start from here and, and to go from here to the end of March, I don't know, making it as easy as possible, I'm combining Bible reading and prayer into one thing. I'm giving you one verse a day. If you haven't got the email thing, if you don't get emails, I've got printed copies. They're somewhere at the back uh, of every day all the way to the end of March. And to say, this month I will pray the scripture every day, even if it's just for five minutes. And if you're already doing things like that, you still, some people are still wanting to do it on top of their ordinary time because we're hungering and we're thirsting for more of God. And so we're shutting the door. We're making time for Jesus. Um, we, we, I got the phrase from um, where Matthew, sorry, where Jesus in Matthew 6, 6 says, when you pray, go to your room and close the door and pray to your father. And he was talking about praying privately so nobody knows um, it's great to have a prayer partner and it's really good to pray together, but there, is certain, certain, um, there are certain times where we need to be on our, own, on our own with God and I believe that should happen every day, even if it's just for a short time. In Luke 5.16, we learned last week that Jesus often, often, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed prayed. Sometimes loneliness isn't a bad thing. I know loneliness is a horrible thing um, and there is a lot of loneliness in this town. Uh, I know about that and um, we pray for lonely people. We, we pray that we can reach out to lonely people but there is a type of loneliness that is godly and right to pull away from the crowd. Jesus dismissed the crowd after he fed the 5,000. He sent the disciples away on a boat and then he went up on a mountainside. Crowd dismissed, disciples dismissed, alone with the Father on the mountain. And then he goes and walks on water. In Luke 6 verse 12, this is just before he appoints the 12 disciples. It says one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus our spotless lamb praying to God. What an example. What a man. And I want to imitate some of that in my own life. And I know I'll never reach his standard, but I'm wearing royal robes that I don't deserve. And as we were worshipping and we, 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 we talked about or we sung about um, being in the throne room, we can boldly, boldly I approach the throne and then we sung about royal robes that I don't deserve. And um, I just imagined God, uh, I imagined going into the throne room and God saying, shut the door. And I know that doesn't make sense because there's millions of people praying to God all at once. But God is infinite. So we can, we can make this word, this, this mind picture work for ourselves as individuals, when you pray to God, it's as if you're the only one, because he's so massive, so big, so vast, so bigger than the universe, infinite, that you can have that intimacy with God as if you're the only one praying. And it's as if you can walk into the throne room and God's saying, shut the door. Shut the door of the throne room. So if you've been following my um, encouragement this week and you have been physically shutting a door, um, imagine you're shutting the door to a throne room 
and you are speaking to none other than the creator of the universe, the king of all kings who ever lived, the lord of all lords. And he's saying, shut the door, let's talk. I think that's incredible. I think it's an incredible privilege. And I think we should prioritize it above EastEnders, above the phone call, above whatever it is on your mobile phone that you want to be looking at right now, even. Um, We should be prioritizing it because this is the stuff of eternity. So last week we looked at Genesis 32 and we saw how Jacob shut the door, so to speak, metaphorically, he was actually outside. He, he's about to go and confront or visit his brother who he's not seen for for very, very long time, for years and years and years. And the last time he left his brother, uh, his brother wanted to kill him uh, because he tricked him out of his birthright, a very precious thing. And he's going back and he sends his wife, his possessions, his servants to the other side of the river. And then he goes back to the first side of the river before he makes his journey and he wrestles with God. He's put his possessions and his people to one side. This is what I'm encouraging us to do when we pray. Some of us actually, a couple of us, have have found this app called Pause, P-A-U-S-E. Um, pause, there's a few apps called Pause, so you've got to get the right one, but there's one by a, a, a Christian author called John Eldridge. He's written a few books, you might have heard of a few of them, um, and he's, he's got a new book called um, Get Your Life Back, and the Pause app is an opportunity to, to do a one-minute pause, and it's his voice and a bit of nice music, and he says, Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. I give everything and everyone to you, God. Sometimes that pause is so important. And this is what Jacob did in many ways. He he put his people and his possessions on one side of the river and he went and he wrestled with God. And God gave him a new name. His name meant, well, it meant, I've heard different interpretations of his name, but... um, that the most accurate is supplanter, one who comes behind and takes something over from you by either by trickery or by force. Supplanter. People often say trickster. Um, but the whole con- connotation of the name Jacob is that he wrestles with people. He's tricked people. He even wrestled with his, his father-in-law, Laban, where he was before. He's heading on this journey home. And he's wrestled, he's contended with people. And the, the, the man he wrestles with, who he believes is God, he says, I've, I've, I've come face to face with God and not died at the end of it. And he, this, this man gives Jacob a new name, and the new name is Israel. Israel. That's where we get the name, the nation Israel from. Israel means contends with God. And I drew from it this idea as I was reading it, the, the idea that, that rather than wrestling with people and things of this earth, I want you to get, get into the throne room. I want you to put those possessions and those people to one side and I want you to shut the door. I want you to get in the throne room. I want you to wrestle with me. There are some things where you do need to wrestle with individuals. You need to talk to people. You need to be honest with them. You need to share with them how you're feeling and you need to correct people when the time is right. But first of all, you get in the throne room and you ask for wisdom as to how to do those things. And when Jacob finally met with Esau, 
it was not as he feared. He'd wrestled with God. And I'm just encouraging all of us, including myself, with some of the issues that I face in my life, not to go storming into the issue, but to pull back, to shut the door, and to wrestle with God over it. Even if the wrestling takes some days of going back to the throne room, God, I'm not going to approach this person until I've heard from you on this. I'm not going to approach this person until I've got a a peace about this situation. I'm not going to say yes or no to this opportunity unless I've got a peace from you, God. I'm wrestling with you. I'm not going to all these different people and advisors. I'm not Googling what I should do. I'm going to God first. And Jacob wrestled with God. I thought it was really important. I thought that was really powerful for me, this idea of getting in the throne room, spending time with him, and just doing these daily readings and turning them into prayers. That's just renewing my mind, helping me to think things God's ways, not looking at the bombardment of information that comes from all around. So that's a long recap. Hope it helped. It helped me. Today I wanted to look at another situation in the Old Testament Um, where we actually find the words, shut the door, and that's why it caught my attention. And just a few more truths that I think can be pulled out of this story that probably weren't put there in the first place by the intended author, but I think if you you listen to what I have to say um, and and the things I feel you can see in this story, um, I I think they should accord with what you, you feel is right in your spirit and what you can see in the rest of Scripture. So sometimes we draw, preachers sometimes draw out sermonic kind of points that possibly weren't even meant to be there by the author. But sometimes if they're true and they're good and they're what you feel the Lord is saying at the time, you've got to judge that for yourself. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Right, so Elisha is a prophet. He has um, followed around and then taken on the job of Elijah who went before him. And Elisha has seen some incredible miracles. I mean, some really fun miracles to read, like a floating axe head and all weird stuff like that. I mean, he's a, he's a full-on, saturated with God, prophet of God. And it, it appears there's, there's like a company of prophets, a group. But the wife of one of these guys, who is now a widow, comes up to Elisha, and says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. She's making his case. Now, you've got to remember that in these days, if you become a widow, there's no social security system. You rely on your family network and your community. Women don't work in the way that women can work today. There are no women in high rank or particular jobs. So she's going to be in trouble financially. Her husband will have been the person bringing in the money. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This is normal practice. If you owe money, a creditor, you owe someone money. Now maybe the husband was working off this debt and it was all going to be fine. But now he's dead and he can't work off the debt. So the the guy who's owed the money says, well, I'll take your sons as slaves. She's in a desperate situation. She's lost her husband. Seems like he's died early. We don't know how he died. And now she's going to lose her sons. She's going to be completely on her own. And she's gone to the man of God. Well, I think that's a good place to go. She could have gone 
to a witch doctor if they had them. She could have gone to some kind of seer. She could have gone anywhere. But she went to the man of God. I thought that was a good move on her part. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. I've got absolutely nothing except a jar of olive oil. And sometimes it's just the little that we have that God wants to use. It's the little that we have, that little five minutes of just spending time with him, reading that verse that you wouldn't have read otherwise, that God wants to use later on in the day, and it pours out and becomes something awesome in your day. It doesn't matter how small your jar of oil is, God can do something amazing with it. But let's think about the symbolism of oil for a little while. What do people think? I'm going to ask someone here to be brave and speak out. What do people think normally we would say the, the olive oil is a symbol of in the Bible? Those of you who have been Christians for a long time? Thank you. The Holy Spirit. Absolutely right. We often say that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we can see why. Oil was used for anointing prophets. So if um, Karen was going to be a prophetess, um, and she was going, or a priest, or a king, uh, we had no female priests, I'm afraid, um, kept all the Catholics happy in those days. There weren't any Catholics in those days. That was just a weird comment. Um, <laughs> uh, they, would, they would pour pure olive oil over her head, and that would be like crowning her, or if she was going to become a king. Yeah, I know, just go with it. Um, they would pour oil on her head. It's an easy thing to remember because it rhymes with the word appointed. Anointed means appointed. If you became of an important office, you were anointed. And it meant that they would just pour this oil all over you, not just a little dash. It would, like the, the reference in one of the Psalms about it running down Aaron's beard. What a mess! But that's what they would do. That was what would happen during an appointment of a, a prophet, a priest, a king. And there were even, they, there's, there's even references in the Bible to anointing uh, a soldier's shield. And they, would anoint, they just anointed things. Okay? They put oil on it. Yeah, oil was also used for cooking and lighting. And it was traded as a co- commodity. There's another reference in the Bible about oil being carried off to Egypt. Because um, Palestine and, and, and Israel was an area where olive trees grow and they make a lot of oil and they would sell it so it was a commodity but just a few references how this anointing process just not talking about the holy spirit yet we're just talking about a practical thing of a ceremonial anointing just someone becomes a prophet a priest or a king and they they pour oil over their head as a sign someone pours oil over their head as a sign that they are now in office So a couple of verses. In 1 Samuel 16, David is being anointed as the next king, which is weird because we already have a king called Saul, um, but Samuel has been led, the prophet, has been led by God to go and find the king. And you may know the story. He goes through different sons of of this guy, Jesse, and um, they finally come to David, and David gets anointed. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. So Samuel is anointing David, um, with a horn full of oil. 
in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So we've got one connection there with the idea of anointing and the Spirit of the Lord. Another one in Isaiah, the Spirit of the, Lord, of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Why is the Spirit of the Lord on me? Because he has anointed me. Not a direct reference to oil, but the oil was used for anointing. To proclaim good news to the poor, which we know Jesus also read from the Scriptures. And then in Acts 10, it says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. So we've got this connection with the Holy Spirit and anointing, but we've also got this connection with anointing and oil. So in many ways, oil does symbolize the Holy Spirit. But when I looked in the uh, encyclopedia of the Bible to, to find some references about oil and the Holy Spirit, it didn't even mention the Holy Spirit. What a shock. What a surprise. So I thought I'd just give you an extract of what the Encyclopedia of the Bible says because oil can also just symbolize, it's my word, blessing um, because the Encyclopedia of the Bible didn't give a single answer as to what it symbolizes. It talks about all this, the uses of oil and, and how it was made even and all that sort of thing and then it's just got this subsection called um, f- figurative use of oil. Oil was a symbol of plenty, of luxury, I'm not reading all the references, of joy and of hospitality. Its lack was evidence of God's displeasure. Its abundance was proof of God's blessing. It was used figuratively as a sign of abundance. Asher will dip his foot in oil, uh, meaning Asher will be abundant. In his affliction, Job remembered his better days when the rock poured out with streams of oil. So we've got the words plenty, luxury, hospitality, blessing, abundance, and better days. So what this woman has got in her, she, I've got nothing in my house. Just a little pot of oil. Just a little pot of oil that could symbolize blessing and the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in our lives we just feel like, I've got nothing, I am empty. But if you've given your life to Jesus, you're a child of the risen King. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. You have the Holy Spirit working upon you. And you have access to the throne room of blessing, of grace. Grace means undeserved favour. Favour upon you that you don't deserve. The royal robes, I don't deserve. The blessing. Oh, I haven't got nothing. I am empty. And you might feel depressed, you might feel low on finance, you might feel low on energy, you might feel ill, you might feel sad about your your family situation. And you might say, I've got nothing, I am empty. Remember, you have a jar of oil within you. You have God's spirit. And God can do abundantly more than you could ever dream of if you turn to him. She went to the man of God. Because in the Old Testament, it was harder to talk to God. You had to go through somebody. Now we have the Holy Spirit. We can talk directly to Jesus. You can go direct to God and say, God, I feel like I've got nothing. You can get in the throne room. You can get in your bedroom. You can get in the shed. You can get in your car and you can shut the door. And you can say, God, I feel like I've got nothing. I'm just going to give you what I have. But God, please... 
Please speak to me through your scriptures as I read this one verse. Please come into my life. Lord, I give everything and everyone to you. The things that are interrupting my thoughts because I'm concerned about them, I give them to you, God. And I give you my life. Shutting the door, being alone with God. So anyway, that's a little bit about oil. Let's go back to the story. Oh, just some other references. In Hebrews 1.9, it refers back to Psalm 45, verse 7, both the same, uh, same text. And they say, You're, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And then again in Isaiah 61, it talks about um, bestowing on us a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, mourning with a U, joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Oil, symbolizing joy, blessing the Holy Spirit. What have you got in your house? I've got nothing, just this little pot of oil. But that's a little power pack. What you've got inside you is your salvation. And it's packed with power because it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, has risen you from darkness and into light. You have the power within you. You just need to get inside that quiet place with Jesus and start connecting to God. Let's go back to the story. This is the last, last uh, screen of text. Elijah, Elisha said... Go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. I like that. Don't ask for just a few. Elisha knows what's going to happen. He's saying, just get as many. You're going to want as many jars as you can. You don't know what I'm going to... She, she doesn't know what's happening. She's, she's stepping out in faith here. He knows what's happening, I think. I assume he knows what God's going to do. And that's why he's given her this instruction. Unless all he's been told is to tell her that. I don't know. I'm assuming he knows what's going to happen. You, you're going to need these jars and she's going around saying well I've been told to get some jars uh, and she sends her sons around don't ask for just a few then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons pour oil into all the jars and so he does know now uh, as each is filled put it to one side she left him and shut the door Behind her and her sons, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one! But he said, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. When she went and told the man of God, sorry, she went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay off your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So that must have been a lot of oil. And I spent maybe 10 minutes trying to work out how much oil was worth. And I couldn't. There's no, no reference at all that I could find to find out how much. All I know was that it was bought and sold as a commodity and some people were paid in oil. But that's a lot of oil. She was worried about this debt. Now, we, all we know is that this debt was so big that it warranted losing her sons as slaves. So it's a big debt. So there's a lot of oil, isn't it? And then there's enough to live on at the end. All she had was nothing except just this little jar of oil. Look at the abundance. 
And God wants you to be saying on the other side of your trial, see what the Lord has done. And right now, you're in this test, which is, by the way, the, the first four letters, the word testimony. You can't have a testimony without a test. And you're here with this little jar, and it's almost worth not having. Just What is it? It feels like you've got nothing. But look at the abundance he wants you to be witnessing to others. See what the Lord has done. There's neighbours knocking on the door saying, when can I have my jar back? Maybe even thinking, is there something special about that jar? Can I have the first jar that you poured from? Yeah, yeah, it was a one-off. You can have the jar. Just a few things I wanted to say. And this isn't... I'm sure this is nothing at all what the writer intended, but it's something that I felt I needed to say this morning. She kept pouring. And in the context of us shutting the door and pouring out what we have within us, just keep pouring it out. Keep pouring out the little that you have. And what I mean by that is sometimes we get behind that closed door and we just pour out whatever problems are there we might pour out some anxiety on him we might pour out some praise we might pour out all of our troubles we might pour out our heart to him we might pour out some worship some thanksgiving we might pour out some requests but just keep pouring it out and God will do the rest she didn't make the miracle happen just keep pouring it out and God will do the rest God brought the multiplication. God brought the answer to her problems. But she had to keep pouring it out. What do you need to pour out to God behind closed doors? This is not an appeal for coming to the front and having a prayer and and, and sorting it out at the front in 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 a moment. This is an appeal for you to go home and shut the door. What is it that God is asking you to pour out? He's asking for more of me. He's showing me things as I pray that P-R-A-Y and and I get to that R, meaning repent. And and I'm saying, Lord, show me, search me and know me. And again, he jolly well shows me something, doesn't he? And then I have to repent of something. It's an attitude thing. It's a thought process. It's a a, a neglect. It's something I I, I didn't even know I didn't do. But why is he doing that? So that he can tell me off? He wants me to be purified. He wants me to be sanctified. He's doing it for my own good because as I release that thing to him, I'm released, I'm free. He wants me to be free. He wants me to have, to give more of me to him. And I've got to keep pouring out. And I get to the why of yield and I'm saying, God, I yield myself to you. Is there anything you want me to do that I'm not already doing? Is there anything you want me to cancel that I I said I would do? I just yield my life to you. Is there anyone you want me to text and encouraging text to? Is there anyone you want me to talk to? Is there anywhere you want me to go today that I wouldn't have planned to go? I'm yielding to him. He wants more of me. And I just believe that's true for many of us in, in our own context. Wherever you work, live or stay or do things, he's asking you for more of yourself to keep pouring, keep pouring, keep pouring it out whether it's pouring out your heart, pouring out some praise, or just pouring out some problems. Just keep pouring it out and see what he asks you to do. See what he does with you. See what abundance he brings as you pour out the little that you have. And you know, this thing about casting our cares upon him, he likes it. You know, if someone comes to me 
Uh, and let's not talk about this church now. Let's talk about um, when I was a school teacher and I, I shared an office with other teachers of the same department and every now and then a kid would knock on the door at break time, lunch time or even after school or even before school and the buses brought them in early and they want to talk and they just dump on you all these things and my colleagues are a trained counsellor and so if it got serious I'd bring him in and say look you, you, you sort them but they just keep dumping on you don't they these kids with crying because they've got problems at home or problems with in the playground or whatever it, you know the, the yard as you call it in Blackburn uh, problems in the you know break time and relationships and all sorts of things and they just do you know I can only take so much Sometimes I just don't answer the door when it knocks, you know. And uh, it's hard. But God's not like that. He's the opposite. He likes it when you bring his problems. It, it, it takes me a while to completely twist my head the other way around and think, this is not, this, God is not like me. He likes to hear my problems. And I can never dump too much on him. And I've just got to pour that stuff out. He actually takes it as an offering. He takes it as an offering of pure oil when you pour out problems. You're not dumping on him. You're giving him something that is actually precious to him. Because why is it precious to him? Because you, he sees someone who is now surrendering something to him. Now I can work with this person. Now I can do something with this problem. You've been holding on to it all this time. Now I can work with it because you've given it to me. Keep pouring it out. That was point one of two. So point two. He replied, there is not a jar left. This is her son. Then the oil stopped flowing. And this is a challenge. God will fill you to the capacity that you offer. If she had another neighbor with another jar and that jar had come in, that jar would have been filled. I don't believe God's supply had a limit on it. I believe the limit came from the number of jars. If there was a neighbour hiding a jar and knocked on the door, so found another jar, you can have it. I can see what's happening. Have another jar. It would have been filled. If some of the neighbours had not given her the jars, and so she only had half, the many, half as many jars, it would have stopped flowing at the last one that she had. It wouldn't have kept flowing into, onto the floor because, oh, there would have been jars there. He only filled to the capacity that she had. And we need to increase our capacity. And that's what these daily scriptures are all about. Just increasing the capacity. It's just putting out one extra jar a day, saying, God, here's another chance to fill me. So sometimes when I'm, I'm walking, I'm on my own, or I'm out doing something else, or I'm in the car, um, I'll switch off the radio if it's on. Can't switch it off if it's not on. It's the way it works. Yours might be different. Switch off the radio, switch off my thoughts, and I'll just say, God, I'll just give everything to you. Here's a, I don't actually say these words. I might do now after listening to myself talk. Here's a jar. Here's a jar. Here's a moment. Here's a moment. I think usually what I say is, Holy Spirit, fill me. And I, I am filled with the Spirit. I speak in tongues and I've received the baptism in the Spirit. But, but the Bible teaches us to, to, to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And I, I don't operate in spiritual gifts like I'd like to. And it tells us to, to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I just offer him that extra jar. He will fill you to the capacity that you offer him. 
And he's asking some of us for more. And I know that I'm surrounded here by saints and wonderful people who, who have, have got hearts for Jesus and, and hearts for worship, and, and, and you are great. But there are some of us in the room where God is saying, you know you can give me a little bit more. And it's not out of condemnation. It's because he wants to do so much more in you. He wants to give you so much more. But he can only give you as much as you open yourself up to him. And I know some of us are doing it because I talk to people. And they're finding rewards, spiritual rewards. You're not finding sort of thousands of pounds in the bank accounts or inheriting houses with swimming pools or suddenly getting Ferraris on the drive or a gold tooth appears in the mouth or some weird stuff happens they're just sensing that the, the Lord's presence is with them and the, sensing that this is exciting, this is, a, this is a time of preparation, something is happening in the supernatural as I open up to God so that's my second point when the when the, when the jars were full the oil stopped flowing so my question is what can you give him how can you increase your capacity? I haven't got the answer. You have. You, you know what you can do. I've told you some of the things I do. I just say now and then, Holy Spirit, fill me. I, I discipline myself to open the Bible app or open a Bible every day. I have several Bible reading plans and I have to catch up on some of them and some of them I've just abandoned. But I, I, because I'm not that consistent in some ways and sometimes I'm just, I go off on a rabbit trail for a while and I'm doing a plan to do with a certain theme and then, and then I go off on something else. But I don't think God minds because he's happy that I'm in his word and I'm seeking him, I'm reading scripture, I'm making notes, I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it. What can you offer him? What can you offer him? When you shut the door, how much time can you, can you sacrifice for him? So we've been talking in the context of it all being a time of preparation for who, who knows what God will be doing. There is a sense that there is a shaking in the earth. There is a sense that God is preparing this church for things yet unseen. We talked about days of prayer. We've talked about preparing our hearts. And we're currently talking about 31 days in the word. What are we doing? What are we offering him? Can we give something to Jesus today? I was going to look at some of those scriptures. I looked at those at the beginning. Some of the scriptures we've been looking at day to day. Maybe we can just commit today to, to go into that word. We, if, you, if you're not on the internet or you don't want a hassle of checking emails every day, there's some more of these at the back. Maybe that's your starting point. I think it would be good right now if we would pray. The subtitle for this Shut the Door talk has been Intentionally Alone with God. And I just pray, Lord, you would help us all to be intentionally alone with God, to find that time to shut the door, to believe that you have got great things for us and that you want us to give and surrender every part of us, all of us. I give you my all. I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would help us to be an encouragement to one another in these things. And in these dark days and in these difficult times with the virus going around and people, people living in fear, and we understand that, we understand it is a frightening time, and with our elderly friends and neighbours, help us to be an encouragement. Help us to shut the door and be filled with you 
and spill something of you out to our neighbours and to our friends. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.